According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me once again in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, picking up our study where we left off Wednesday night and very rapidly approaching the end of the book. We're in the final benediction, verses 20 through 23 and uh, going through principles of study here that apply to glory, greetings, and grace. Glory, greetings, and grace. We see the glory in verse 20. To our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Then we have the greetings in verses 21 and 22. We'll be dealing with those here this morning. Greet every uh, saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household discuss that. And then from glory to greetings to grace, Paul closes every epistle with grace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit in a very interesting expression that we find there. And so we'll be detailing that as uh, the uh, depository of grace can be an individual. The depository of grace can also be a collective spirit of a congregation of a local church. And uh, we'll discuss the church unity that uh, is alluded to in this concept here. Before we do begin, though, let's take a moment for silent prayer, allowing ourselves the opportunity to confess any sin, to set aside distractions, to humble ourselves under the authority of the Word of God. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning thankful for your faithfulness and calling upon your faithfulness, Father. Uh, If we've got folks on the way still to watch over them, bring them here safely, Uh, provide uh, your blessings in the travel with the the weather being what it is and the roads being what they are, Austin drivers being what they are. Father, uh, be faithful and uh, provide for your children. Father, bless our time this morning as we assemble together that we want to study to show ourselves approved. We want to grow in the grace of knowledge. Father, we want to be equipped for every good work of service. And I thank you that you are the one that's faithful to work in and through us, both to will and to do of your good pleasure. So be at work here this morning. Open the eyes of our understanding. Bless us and feed us, Father. We thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. And so uh, some of the main points that we've covered already centering on God's glory, he does provide, as we've studied, Remember, this uh, benediction comes right after the promise that uh, my God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And so glory was just mentioned in the, pri- in the prior verse, uh, just ahead of the, the second mention of glory here in verse 20. And so he is providing, he is providing glory, he is providing grace. When the Father bestows his riches and glory, it diminishes neither his riches nor his glory. That's what happens when you have infinite. You have infinite riches. You have infinite glory. And so you can give and give and give again. And uh, it's such a powerful principle. It comes out not only through the scriptures, but it's reflected in in many of our hymns in terms of God's amazing grace and in terms of the fact that he giveth and giveth and giveth again. When we've exhausted our store of endurance, he's just getting started. The Father's giving has only begun. And that's uh, the glory of, of who God is and what God does. So we can appreciate that. We uh, spent much of Wednesday looking at eternity terms. And uh, when we have the expression here, to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. We discussed the nature of forever and ever. And is that in fact longer than just forever? If you have forever by itself, is that's that's still infinity that never ends that's forever long but then you add the and ever after that and much of this is of course idiomatic but Wednesday night we spent quite a bit of time looking at our forever vocabulary even Radley of course had to give the the joke at the end that our class seemed to last forever as we studied the idioms but the ice tus ionas ton ionon and this is the fullest expression it's really the one I'm most fond of because it's unto the ages of the ages. And uh, when you have the ages of the ages as an idiom, it's like the song of songs. It's like it, it reflects the, the infinite. It, re- it reflects the ultimate, if you will. And the ages of the ages is just the ultimate age, the perfect age, the perfect day. Remember, there's no night there. There's no night in heaven. And so uh, the provision there as we see it 
kind of fun to think about. And I believe it's very edifying when we, uh, because it puts our, our temporary, you know, our, our testing all in perspective. That this uh, momentary light affliction is not worthy to be compared to the eternal weight of glory. So infinity studies are useful. Heaven studies are useful. Went through there in the subpoints one, two, and three. The idea of amen, this is our blessing. Our blessing is to say the amen. God is the one who makes it so, and we're the ones that celebrate that it is so, right? And so we don't make anything happen by saying amen. God makes everything happen by saying, let it be, right? God says, let there be light. And you know what happens? There's light, that's right. God says, let there be, and there is. The expression of His will brings about the reality that He desires. And uh, that's His prerogative, that's His blessing as, as the sovereign of the universe. And so when we talk about glory forever, uh, God's the one that's going to make that happen because God the Father is magnifying the Son and God the Son is magnifying the Father and these things come together in the fullness of times. These things come together before that omega moment then springboards us into eternity future. So God makes it happen we get to say the amen, that uh, faithfully it is so. I like the translation, um, faithfully be so, or truly, or so be it. Uh, we don't make it happen, but we testify that it is so. It is faithfully so. And I enjoy that quite a bit. All right. It affirms the faithful reality of God's statements. Now we get into the greetings. And so in our point two, we look here at the greetings in verses 21 and 22, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. And so these are, this is an imperative, this is instructions that they're being given. Uh, the greetings are, are being conveyed through the written epistle. They're coming to the believers in Philippi. Those believers will receive the greetings as the expression of uh, fondness, of honor, affection, and genuine interest of well-being. There's a textbook definition for you from uh, the lexicon related to aspatzomai. But uh, it is an expression of honor, affection, and genuine interest of well-being. And that's why we've got to spend some time on it. We've done this before in uh, Romans is like the, the pinnacle of all greetings, all, a whole chapter is dedicated to, to various greetings in Romans chapter 16. We also studied it in Galatians, we've studied it in 1 Corinthians. The fact is that in, in the ancient world and in cultures other than ours, uh, in the, we've lost so many of these details because we, we, we still have salutations, we just don't mean them. We still use the words like we say, hello, how are you? But we don't really care. We're not really interested. We're not, you know, if you stopped and gave us a comprehensive explanation for how you really are doing, we would be shocked. We wouldn't be ready for that. It would be uh, uncomfortable uh, because generally when we say, hey, how are you? It's just, it, it, it's meaningless, okay? Uh, essentially, and, and it's sad that our culture has gone to that point and, and that it is what it is because the blessings of a greeting are the blessings of communication that God has, has gifted all of humanity with in the image and likeness of God. We have the opportunity to express honor, affection, and genuine interest of well-being. And there should be that kind of a delight, particularly with um, saints from a distance, saints that you don't see very often, uh, saints perhaps that you know from elsewhere and happen to visit you here on a Sunday morning, for example. That's a great opportunity. And so the idea of a greeting, the idea when uh, you want to be able to convey that honor, that affection that says, we're all family in the body of Christ. There are no strangers once you're saved. We're all brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. And so we want to be able to communicate that. We want to, we want to render honor where honor is due, see, in different applications there. The Greek verb is aspadzimai, and the etymology is uncertain, and it's really been a puzzle for a long time. Uh, different arguments have arisen based on uh, different theories for how aspadzimai came about. Uh, and, and I don't know that I believe any of them, so um, I won't share any of them with you this morning. But um, the Strong's number is number 782 if you use your Strong's index to, uh, uh, to track down your word studies. There are 59 usages throughout the New Testament, so you'll see a number of them. Uh, really to engage in a hospitable recognition of another, and it does have varying degrees of, of intimacy. 
And uh, so, uh, you know, clearly if it's, uh, if it's a dear, dear friend. And, and some of those terms come across. Now, not so much here. This is a very short benediction. This is a very short uh, greetings uh, section uh, for, compared to others that Paul has. Uh, like I said, let's just hold your finger here. When you glance over at Romans 16, you'll see what I'm talking about. You'll see a very lengthy uh, description. You'll see uh, terms of endearment that are used for various people in different capacities. So in Romans 16, starting in verse 3, and look how far down it goes. All of these greetings. So greet uh, Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Imagine such a thing. Um, try to put yourself back in the first century as, as the New Testament's getting written, as Greek epistles are now starting to be added to the canon of Scripture, uh, these, these, these names are getting spread around. You can imagine, you know, if, if you're visiting a, a church and, and you introduce yourself as Priscilla and Aquila, then anyone who's read the book of Romans or the book of Galatians or the book of Philippians, they're like, wow, are, are, you, are you the Priscilla and Aquila? You know, these, these names are starting to, to circulate and become known. And, uh, and, and then when you have the battle scars of uh, the camaraderie of the angelic conflict when you've risked your neck with the Apostle Paul in different capacities, see. And, you know, who knows if we'll get to see the, 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 the deleted scenes on the DVD for this. It'd be kind of fun to see, you know, what was the story there? What happened? Was, was this on one of those occasions that Paul had been thrown to the lions? Did, did Priscilla and Aquila jump in there? We, you know, we just don't know. But they did risk their necks. Um, and greet the church that is in their house. Greet Eponidas, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. No one else can make that claim. That's him, the first one to get saved when that ministry opened up. Uh, greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. What benefit did Mary provide for the Roman believers? We don't know, but they knew. The Lord knows. Mary knew. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen. So they're you know, in the same clan, the same family that Paul was of the tribe of Benjamin, and my fellow prisoners who are outstanding among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. There weren't many in Paul's clan that got saved before Saul of Tarsus got saved, but these two did. Uh, Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord, Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, Stachus, my beloved. There's a couple more of these. Apelles, the approved in Christ, the Dokimazo approved in Christ. There's got to be a story there. What was it that approved him? Those of the household of Aristobulus, greet Herodian, my kinsman. That's another mystery. How does he have kinsmen among with a name like Herodian? That uh, makes you wonder. Those of the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa, those are female names, probably sisters, workers in the Lord. Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. Rufus, there you go, a choice man in the Lord. Also his mother and mine. What's the backstory there? See, and so these connections, these connections, we don't know if, uh, probably not a literal brother, probably such as the, in the case that uh, Rufus's mother was like a mother to Saul of Tarsus, uh, or maybe Saul's mother was like a mother to Rufus, however, however that worked in any event. It's like when you're growing up with somebody and their parents have full permission to spank you, then that's, uh, that's kind of the interaction between families. And uh, I think my, my parents gave blanket permission for anybody in the state of Washington. I uh, didn't have to be friends or whatever. Any parent could discipline me at any time. And so maybe that was Rufus and Saul growing up. Anyway, there's some others that are mentioned here. The um, closing with the holy kiss. Now, we don't get the holy kiss in Philippians, and so uh, it won't be a study we'll undertake here in this context. But we recognize these are expressions of affection. And how do we show affection? And depending on your culture and depending on your comfort level in the part of the country you grew up in, here in the South, there's a whole lot of hugging that happens that didn't happen on the West Coast. And so that's, uh, that's an aspect that take some adjustment. All right. So this is what we're looking at. Back to Philippians then. The, um, to engage in hospitable recognition of another. And so we want our greetings to be on that basis. We want our greetings to have content. 
We want our greetings to, uh, to be more than just, hey, how you doing? We want to actually greet one another biblically. We want to, uh, uh, if we esteem the other as more important than ourselves, then uh, we're delighted to find out uh, not only how they're doing, but how we can pray for them. What do you have going on at the moment? What is it that you're dealing with right now? How is it we can lift you up before the throne of grace? Because this particular greeting may end at this moment. We may just be you know, passing in the night, as it were. Uh, but after you go your way and I go my way, we can still be praying for one another no matter where we go, no matter how far the distances uh, become. Anyway, so many of these things come out in the epistles. And uh, when, when it would take weeks for a scroll to travel from one place to another place, uh, and, you, and you would get word about somebody, and then you would write back. It would take weeks for that word to get back. There's just, uh, there's just a delay that we, we don't relate to anymore because everything now is instantaneous. Everything now is email, and email is too slow, so we have instant messages, and even that's too slow. So we want to have push notifications to our phone and force that phone to dingling when, when you want to get something across to somebody. And, uh, and you can pull your phone out of your pocket and you can start chatting with a pastor in, in Cameroon uh, just like that. It's, it's amazing what God has allowed for this generation to be blessed with in, uh, in these applications. All right, so to engage in hospitable recognition of another. I think, too, um, it is a note of honor. And in particular, we want to have kind of a a sense of that, okay? We want to have a sense too and, and very much a, a respect, for example, if I'm traveling to a different church, like if I go to West Houston Bible Church, for example, uh, first thing I want to do is check in with, with Pastor Robbie Dean. I want to, he's the authority. He's the shepherd of that flock, of that lampstand. And, and uh, so I, he's the first one I search out and I want to honor him in that way and I want to respect his position as the, as the shepherd of that flock. And so I, I search him out first thing. Second thing, I search out Judy Jones, and I go back to where she's hiding back in her, her uh, closet in the back, and I find her, and I want to honor her. She's the second one I search for every time, see, because Judy Jones was the nursery worker when I was an infant. She was the nursery worker at Sunset Hill Baptist Church in Seattle, Washington, and so Judy Jones uh, changed my diapers back in the day, you know, <laughs> want to find her. I want to, I want to see how she's doing. I want to see how her health is holding up. I want to find out how to pray for her and, and aspects there. So greetings are useful and they're times of fellowship. They're occasions for uh, exchanging of, of prayer items and so forth. The genuine interest of well-being. And we see this, Exodus 18 and verse 7. It is a Septuagint use of a spodzomai in Exodus 18 and verse 7. We can look at this. And even, uh, let's see, leading up to verse 7 here, uh, Exodus 18.1, Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Remember uh, the, the timeline of Moses, 40 years thinking he was somebody and then 40 years thinking he was a nobody and then uh, 40 years learning what God can do with a nobody. Okay, it's uh, it's a marvelous pattern there in the life of Moses, and so uh, Jethro learns about the Exodus, and he learns about the ministry there in Egypt and delivering the Jewish people from bondage. So Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Moses' wife Zipporah after he had sent her away, and her two sons, of whom one was named Gershom, for Moses said, "I have been a sojourner in a foreign land." The other was named Eleazar, for he said, "The God of my father was my help, and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh." So Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was camped at the Mount of God. See, in the ancient world, we don't relate to this, the idea of going away for months or years and then having a reunion with your own family because of the distance and the time involved. And so uh, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and he bowed down and kissed him and they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. So they asked each other of their welfare. Now the Hebrew there is to inquire of one's shalom. And so to ask of your shalom, how's your shalom? How's my, and then, you know, great, how's your shalom? And, but we want to give, great, yeah. But see, that just, that great, that short answer, stop doing that. 
They don't want that short answer. It's a lie anyway. Just don't g- give them the real answer. Say, inquire. Well, you know, hey, you know, uh, two weeks ago my father departed. He went to heaven. Um, you know, there's just other things. And you will share those details so that the, the one who loves you will be praying for you in a, in a more intimate way. So asking about the shalom, asking about the peace, well-being, and uh, welfare of, uh, of the other. And so bowed down and kissed him. They asked each other their welfare and went into the tent. Let's sit down and, and talk this through. It's going to be a while. It's going to be a while. It's not just a, a nod of the head and a hey, you know, kind of a thing. Uh, another example of that in, in Judges 18, verse 15, if you want to turn there. I won't take you there this morning. Greetings may only be extended sporadically, but intercessory prayer is a continuous blessing. Here, so here's sub point B then. Greetings may only be extended sporadically. Those are occasional items as you cross paths, as the sovereignty of God brings you into connection with, uh, with a brother or with a sister. Uh, those greetings may only be extended sporadically, but intercessory prayer is a continuous blessing. Colossians 4.12. I wonder what the apostles would have done if they'd have had Twitter. What, what would the apostles have done with texting and cell phones? In, uh, I think it would have been a different, a different outcome for our New Testament. Colossians 4.12. One thing's for sure, we can certainly extend... Uh, greetings more frequently than ever before. We can extend greetings every day if we want to, several times a day if we want to. You know, think about how world missions has been transformed now that, you know, it used to be you'd head off to the Philippines and then, you know, you'd send a letter that would take weeks to get back and you wouldn't see somebody for a year. Now we can Skype, now we have video chats, now we can be um, just with instantaneous communication around the world. It's a marvelous thing. Colossians. It will be our next book study when we wrap up Philippians, and I'm eager to jump into it. I think uh, if we wrap up the verse by verse here uh, in in Philippians, I do want to take a couple of weeks to do kind of a recap, a summary, since it's been two years, and and, uh, you've probably forgotten some details out of chapter one or two or three, (laughs) the first part of chapter four. I mean, it's useful to just take a couple of weeks and kind of review everything we've looked at all the broad pictures, the, the, the main doctrines, so that uh, we walk away from here uh, with a sense of both the forest and the trees uh, in the completed Philippians endeavor. All right, uh, Colossians chapter 4, more uh, greetings in this chapter. Um, let's see, even back to verse 7. As to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant of the Lord, will bring you information. This is sanctified. This is not gossip. This is not the rumor mill or the, the you know, grapevine or whatever. Tychicus, the sanctified uh, tail bearer. He's, uh, but he is, in particular, we, I think, uh, he was the, the uh, courier for most of Paul's correspondence that, um, not Philippians, but uh, for Colossians and Philemon, certainly. Um, and Ephesians, that, that he was the courier to take scrolls where they needed to go, um, and to bring information as to Paul's status, in jail or out of jail, you know, alive or dead. What's he, what's he doing? What's the, the information? What's the latest information so that you can be praying for the Apostle Paul? And that's his, that's his task. For I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances. Now this is pretty plain and simple, and this is really, it, it provides for some marvelous applications in a pretty simple way for local churches. It helps to bind churches together, not any kind of a denomination or hierarchy structure, but to bind flocks together in a mutual prayer and love for one another uh, application. And, and really, I think the only resistance to this is for certain believers that have a heritage with um, shall I say, the doctrine of privacy as it has been abused in some applications. All right? Because here the plain and simple matter is Paul wants everybody, every born-again believer within, within uh, 
reach of a scroll to be to know about his circumstances and to be praying for him to keep him lifted before the throne of grace and that's uh that's what we're looking at here so uh, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, he was the runaway slave and the topic for the book of Philemon. Um, he also had to travel with Tychicus to Colossae to return himself to custody to his slave master. They will inform you about the whole situation here. There's other instructions Aristarchus my fellow prisoner sends you his greetings also Barnabas's cousin Mark about whom he received instructions if he comes to you welcome him happy to hear that because we thought that Paul and Mark were on bad terms the last time they split up it didn't look good but here it looks better also Jesus who is called justice these are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings. Now notice, he sends you his greetings, and this is his chance to do so because he learns that Paul has written a letter to the Colossians and Tychicus is carrying the scroll to the Colossians. And so Epaphras wants to make sure that his greeting is included with all the other greetings. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. So the greeting is sporadic. The prayer is continuous. It's pray without ceasing. And Epaphras is a marvelous example for that imperative. Always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you. And remember, we're not supposed to stand like a hypocrite and show off in our prayers. All right, that's not the point. And that's not what Epaphras is doing. But he is praying, he is praying diligently, and the recipients of those prayers need to know that. They need to know that. And, uh, and he's not tooting his own horn. Paul is tooting the Epaphras horn for him in a, in a sanctified boasting. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So he has a deep concern for you and for those who are at Laodicea and at Hierapolis. And this is where we learn Luke is a doctor. The beloved physician sends you his greetings and also Demas. Alright, so greetings may only be extended sporadically, but intercessory prayer is a continuous blessing. In a lot of respects, this is why uh, pastor's conferences are so fun. And not only do you go and you get the content of the messages and the keynote speakers and the the, the doctrine and the information they're conveying, that's powerful. But then in addition to that is the fellowship, is the in-between sessions, is the, the, the lunches and dinners and breakfasts and all the, the time to get caught up with, with different pastors who you haven't seen for a whole year. You haven't seen since the last conference a year ago or two years ago, whenever the most recent time was. And so then you get to extend those greetings and you get to, to learn about the different ministries in different places and uh, the blessings there. Because otherwise... You get just kind of myopic and hunkered down in your own little uh, Austin Bible Church huddle and you get the Elijah mentality that thinks, you know, woe is me, I alone am left and, uh, you know, life is rough and no one cares. You know, no, it's bigger than that. God's got a huge plan and uh, 7,000 that haven't bent the knee to Baal and uh, it's good to get those kind of encouragements. Greetings vary based upon degrees of intimacy. Greetings vary based upon degrees of intimacy. The more background you have, the more connection you have, the more battle scars you have, then uh, the the more intimacy, uh, the more special those greetings are going to become. Fellow saints are always worthy of greetings in the Lord. So even, uh, even if you're supposedly strangers, you're not because you're fellow saints that uh, you're born again by faith in Christ, that you are set apart for the holiness of God. So fellow saints are always worthy of greetings in the Lord. We have that expression here in Philippians 4, all the saints greet you. But before all the saints greet you, notice the degrees. Because he starts off with, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. So when he's sending greetings to Philippi, he wants to greet everybody. But then he says, the brethren who are with me greet you. Now who's that? the brethren who are with me. 
well, he's in prison. It's his fellow, it's his fellow prisoners. And, and maybe some of them weren't even believers before they got to jail, but now they're saved because they ended up in a cell with the Apostle Paul. <laughs> okay. And, uh, and who knows, maybe you know, the jailer could get saved. Things like that happen. And so you have saints that are with you in your immediate circumstances, the ones that you can pray with daily, the ones you can read Scripture with daily. And so there's a degree of intimacy there. And then he says, all the saints greet you. And that would be the, the ones not in jail with him, the ones in his periphery. And then really all the saints, if you think about it, <laughs> um, every believer in the first century, every believer, as, as these books of the Bible are being written, every believer is going to start to have an exposure to, there's a church in Philippi, right? There's a church in, in Corinth. There's a church in Ephesus. And you start to learn about, of course, seven churches in, in Asia Minor. You start to learn where these flocks are. Not only because, you know, by word of mouth and communication, but just because these books of the Bible are being written. And you think, wow, you know, that's extraordinary. That's our heritage in the body of Christ. And sometimes we talk about Israel and their heritage in the Old Testament. You know, they're reading the book of Ruth and and it's different for them when they're reading the book of Ruth than when we're reading the book of Ruth because for them, that's also family history. That's also their clan and their tribe and their family. The, the history of their people and the redemption out of Egypt and their history. So when they're reading the Old Testament, that's their heritage. When we in the body of Christ are reading the New Testament, that's our heritage as, as royal family of God, as the, as the, the body and bride of Jesus Christ. And tr- just imagine that first century uh, reading about the saints in uh, in Philippi, they're about to get famous. When Paul writes Luke, uh, when, we, when I'm sorry, when Luke writes the book of Acts, then all of these churches are going to become very famous for the rest of the first century into the second century and for all of church history. The idea that, ooh, you know, I want to go to Philippi. Maybe that jailer's still alive. Well, maybe we can meet some of these people. And uh, blessings there. So all the saints greet you, and especially those of Caesar's household. And we'll discuss that here in a moment. 1 Corinthians 16.9, we discussed this at the close of the first first Corinthians epistle. Remember, such a schismatic church and such conflict that Paul had to address and such uh, corrective action that he had to prescribe, it's then uh, interesting that he's so um, gracious towards them in in the conclusion and extending these greetings, the recognition that these, these workers are worthy of greetings, and not just the communicators, not just the pastors or the, the uh, evangelists or the apostles, as it were. 1 Corinthians 16, 19. There's a lot of folks that are mentioned here in this chapter that are, um, have hospitality ministries. So that's, uh, that's a good thing to pay attention to as well. All right, now how much of this do I want to read? Chapter 16. Um, early on he's talking about his travel plans and it's a bit up in the air for the moment. He says in verse 7, I do not wish to see you now just in passing for I hope to remain with you for some time if the Lord permits. That's key. That we've got to stay in the will of God in all your travels and all your ministry. But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective service is open to me and there are many adversaries. So this is directing his ministry, directing his travels. Where is the open door? Where would the Lord have me to be? Okay, And yes, there are many adversaries and he will end up being imprisoned and in the course of that imprisonment he will write uh, Philippians and Colossians and Philemon and uh, and there you have it. Uh, now if Timothy comes, see that he's with you without cause to be afraid, for he is doing the Lord's work as I also am. You know, that, that makes for an interesting greeting also, doesn't it? You know, Timothy's on his way, maybe, and uh, <laughs> he's a bit leery about getting there. See that he's with you without fear. And uh, let no one despise him, but send him on his way in peace that he may come to me, for I expect him with the brethren. If he doesn't come back, it's your fault. It's almost a threat. 
right? And then when Titus disappears, Paul was really concerned that he had come to some harm there in, uh, in Corinth. And then Apollos, concerning Apollos, our brother, I encouraged him greatly to come to you with the brethren, but it was not at all his desire to come now. Ooh. You realize one-fourth of that church were big Apollo fans, and now they've just been devastated to know that their uh, schismatic hero here, remember they, they were divided into four camps, the Paul camp, the Apollos camp, the Cephas camp, and the Jesus camp, who was just as divisive as the other three camps. And so when Paul writes to them and says, Apollos, I urged him to come, but he can't come right now or doesn't want to come right now, that's, uh, that had to have hurt, had to have stuck. So he will come when he has the opportunity. Anyway, the whole chapter full of greetings here as well. It's the second longest after Romans 16. But then the greetings as is appropriate for the saints in verse 19. The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Prisca greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. Greetings uh, of the saints. Fellow saints are always worthy of greetings in the Lord. All right. There is an uh, excellent article in the uh, evangelical, uh, I'm sorry, exegetical dictionary of the New Testament, and I thought I would share a clip of that with you. There's a good EDNT article related to Aspazamai. Got my clicker working today. Make it large enough for the back row commandos. You can read it. All right, Aspazamai, to greet. Welcome to bid for. It also is used to bid farewell. Also, um, all right. In the widest sense, the greeting is the opening of communication between individuals. It's like the hail. It's like the hello. You're opening a channel. Okay, Star Trek usage. <laughs> Open a channel. Okay, and as soon as it's connected, then uh, now you may commence the more detailed uh, exchange of information. Uh, if, in fact, the greeting is insulting or you neglect it or, uh, it, in fact, your greeting can be so terrible that you don't get the extended communication beyond that, okay? As if you fail to show any appreciation or respect or honor, why does the person want to talk to you? All right. Without it, the meeting between two people remains neutral and in some cases dangerous, but the greeting clarifies the ambiguous situation. Yeah, if you're just approaching a stranger, you're not sure. You know, you're approaching somebody, don't think I know them. So, okay, they're a stranger, don't think I know them. I'll pass them in the hallway. And, uh, you know, at, at a bare minimum, you at least want to acknowledge that the other person exists, that he's standing there, that you're not going to bump into him in the hall, okay, that you're going to kind of shift to the right and you're just going to pass. That's, that's the bare minimum, right, for a stranger. You're acknowledging their existence, you're not just going to plow through them and brush them aside as if they're not there. But with the greeting, with the friendliness of the greeting, and with perhaps even the, the introduction of, of a name or, or something then that, that breaks the ice, that then establishes the, the friendly uh, uh, concept, now you can explore all the more. So it brings together the individuals who meet and defines their further conduct. Okay, <laughs> was it Schaefer? Not Schaefer. I was at pre-trib a few years back, and uh, walking down the hallway, headed towards the elevator. I passed. There was a man and his son that passed by me. Didn't know who they were. Didn't 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 look familiar. Never met him before in my life. But got past him about five feet, and from behind me, I heard him say, "Wait a minute, you're Bob Bolander, aren't you?" Okay. <laughs> well, that's a greeting. Let's turn around. Let's find out who this person is. <laughs> And uh, it was somebody that actually had met B3, had met Bob the Son. And uh, based upon, if you've, it's scriptural, if you've seen the Son, you've seen the Father. And so <laughs> he said, you've got to be Bob's dad. And so that was my introduction to Pastor Steve Sperlin of uh, Cornerstone Bible Church in Lubbock, Texas, and uh, who I'd heard of, and I'd heard the name, and I'd even read some of his articles. I just never met him face to face. And so uh, we had the the application there. All right. So the greeting uh, brings together the individuals who meet and defines their further conduct. The Old Testament wish of shalom referred to the entirety of health, good fortune, blessing, peace, etc. 
Shalom is a comprehensive expression. We've studied that before. The greeting not only represents a wish for these blessings, but also lets them become a reality. This aspect is entirely present in the New Testament. For Jesus, the greeting becomes a first realization of Christian conduct. His own people should not be expecting a greeting. Instead, a greeting should first be given by them. And so some of these instructions get lost to us, I think, if we're not uh, familiar with the background on this or the culture. I'll make this one larger also. In his teaching, he was saying, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes. They like the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. That became a component of pride. If you were a well-known rabbi, the, the, the more well-known you became, then you started to crave that. You started to, uh, to, to, to thrive every time it came up to you. And, and, and someone would say, ooh, are you Rabbi Gamaliel? Ooh, Rabbi Hillel? Ooh, Rabbi Shimei? Whoever it was. And uh, those respectful greetings to be recognized, right? And then the insult if they don't recognize, like, don't you know who I am? Okay? That whole attitude of, don't you know who I am? That just betrays a pride on the person's part who's craving these kind of recognitions. All right, instead, a greeting should first be given by them. The greeting is also the first sign of the love of enemies in actual practice, Matthew 5 47. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than the others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? If you're supposed to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so your greetings go to more than just your brothers. If you only greet those who would greet you, in other words, we, we should be outgoing in our, in our Christian love, in our evangelism, in our outreach, in our expression of greetings. That's the example that Jesus gave there. Matthew 5.47. Nevertheless, the practice of greeting should not hamper haste in the proclamation of the message. Luke 10.4. Carry no money bag, no money belt, no bag, no shoes. Greet no one who is in the way. In other words, when you're traveling from point A to point B and there's ministry waiting for you at point B, then now you're in a traveling mode, get there, and those are the people you're going to greet when you get there. Don't let your mission be sidetracked with extraneous things. Or uh, examples in the Old Testament when uh, somebody's trying to leave and uh, the, the, the servant of Abraham is trying to leave and take Rebekah back to, to marry Isaac and uh, Rebekah's family kept delaying and delaying and, well, we've got to do this, we've got to do this. That's an abuse of the, of the hospitality for manipulation purposes. And uh, Jesus warned about that as well. The greeting receives special importance as a constituent part of the Pauline letters in which Paul not only gives the letter itself a new function but also gives the greeting formula a new function in the framework of his apostolic activity. By the way, Steyerwalt wrote a whole, he dedicated a whole study to this and wrote a book on uh, epistolary greetings in the New Testament and how it was unique and how it was transformative to to the ancient world that prior to the New Testament Uh, Greek correspondence, Latin correspondence never got so personal, never attached such things except for immediate family, never were were names of of fellow workers and co-laborers in the Lord and so forth. That was was an innovation of New Testament epistles that uh, that then had an impact in the wider uh, culture, the wider society at large started to include more uh, of these type of greetings in their personal correspondence. Thought that was interesting. So the greeting formula, a new function in the framework of his apostolic activity. In addition to the introductory greetings, remember every epistle is grace to you and peace, right? Grace and peace starts every epistle. Mercy also gets added to the Timothy epistles. But grace and peace starts every epistle. The concluding greetings are of interest inasmuch as their frequency and proportion is surprising in comparison with the Hellenistic culture. Except for Galatians, in which the church situation is very tense, the Pauline concluding greetings are very diverse. Alongside Paul's personal greetings are greetings from co-workers or fellow Christians. The the addressees are requested to greet specific persons or each Christian. And then here's the Romans 16, 1 Corinthians 16, 2 Corinthians 13. These are all the closing passages of these epistles. They are to greet each other with a holy kiss, which is an especially intensive not primarily or exclusively liturgical form of greeting.
All right. So there's a bibliography there if you want to read Thrade or you want to read Steyerwalt or you want to read some Winditch or some other, some other authors that are mentioned there. Comprehensive bibliography there for Ospasmos. Greetings. We have those opportunities and we want to be able to share those greetings here as well. You know, we talk about the, the phrase in the Lord. If you greet somebody in the Lord, what makes that different from just greeting them normally? <laughs> right? That expression in the Lord. Uh, when you uh, extend the right hand of fellowship. Is that just a corporate handshake? What is that? What are, what are the greetings that we extend to one another in the body of Christ? And how um, pertinent is it? How appropriate is it given our status as aliens and strangers? The fact that this world is not our home. That we don't belong here. So when we encounter somebody else that's from where we're from, that's a thrill. See, if you travel overseas and you, you know, and you encounter a fellow American somewhere, like, oh, wow, you know, there aren't many English speakers here, but uh, I overheard you speaking English. <laughs> where are you from? And you find out, oh, okay, yeah, I'm from Texas. When you know, you start, you realize there's a commonality based upon the fact that you're in a place you don't belong. You're in a country that's alien to you. You're just a sojourner. And so you go, wow, this is kind of neat. We have this in common. That's the body of Christ. We are, we, we're citizens of heaven. We're aliens and strangers here. And so there should be an affinity that we have with one another as it relates to our soldier function, our ambassadorial function, our, uh, our uh, priestly function, and everything that we do in the body of Christ as we encounter one another in, in various places. So we can appreciate that as well. Now, Caesar's household. Caesar's household. The expression here in Philippians 4 says, hoi ektes kaisaras oikias. Hoi ektes kaisaras oikias. That's our expression. And um, The, uh, the hoy is masculine plural because there's more than one and there's a group of them that uh, are, anytime you have mixed company, men and women, you get the masculine pronoun to cover all of them. And um, so these are the ones, the members of, the ones belonging to the household of Caesar. According to the prevailing usage, this expression refers not to the members of the emperor's family or relations, uh, that is earthly relation, not, not Mrs. Caesar, okay, Mrs. Nero, or the children, or anybody else that's a part of his immediate family. It's actually a technical term related to the administration, the administrative functions of the empire, the imperial household. The great number of slaves and freedmen from whose ranks the imperial civil, ser civil service was staffed. This used to be proof, that the slam dunk proof positive when he says Caesar's household, oh, Paul has to be in Rome. That Paul is in Rome in Acts 20, you know, 6, or 28, at the end of the book of Acts, Paul is in Rome, and when Acts comes to a close, we don't learn any bit more, that's why Acts ends there, we don't learn any bit more about Paul's travels because he gets to Rome, and that's where he writes his prison epistles. That's where he writes Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, except I don't think he wrote the prison epistles there. That The prison epistles were actually written earlier. They were written from Ephesus during an Ephesian imprisonment or multiple Ephesian imprisonments. See? And, and the reference to Caesar's household does not demand that uh, this letter was written from Rome. That was uh, just a bad understanding of, of things from back in the day. All right? And so, but that kind of became uh, a sense of uh, speculation and wonder that, ooh, you know, isn't that great? Paul went to prison in Rome and then members of Caesar's family got saved. I wonder who that was. See, well, uh, that's, that stretches the phrase beyond what the phrase is intended to convey. So uh, remember, Philippi itself was a Roman colony and there would be administrative uh, officers there. Ephesus was the political capital of the, of the province of Asia. And, and Caesar had a household there. He had administrative officers there. In fact, that was one that had a lot of strife on different occasions. And uh, where the, the Asiarchs were terrified of rocking the boat, they were terrified of causing issues that would cause Caesar's house to come down on them. 
when you study the, the background there. Anyway, great number of slaves and freedmen from whose ranks the imperial civil service was staffed. Now, having said that, it's actually better that these are not uh, family members, that these are actually governmental functionaries. That's actually a better blessing to the body of Christ, if you think about it. The fact that we want to have impact in our culture, that we want to have impact, salt and light, we want to have spiritual benefit to our communities, right? And so the influence that we want to have related to believers in governmental offices, in elected office, in politically appointed positions, to have born-again believers in, uh, in different uh, occupational pursuits that, uh, that, that have influence in the, in the society, in the culture at large, that's a glory. That is a marvelous blessing in what we have. Not only to have a believer, somebody that's born again, but to have a believer under doctrinal teaching, to have someone with a solid framework of, 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 of biblical understanding. The fact that Vice President Pence is not only born again, but he's dispensational that he's evangelical, that he's squared away on the difference between Israel and the church, that he's not a post-millennialist, that he recognizes it's a pre-tribulational rapture of the church. That is huge, okay? That Ted Cruz is dispensational. He understands the pre-tribulational rapture of the church. That is huge. That they're oriented to the fact that when we bless Israel, what is the Abrahamic covenant all about? I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. I would much rather have political uh, people in office that are pro-Israel rather than pro-Muslim uh, Brotherhood. Okay, Because if you're siding with the Muslim Brotherhood, as President Obama did repeatedly, then you are siding with those that have vowed for the destruction of the Jewish state. And I don't want my nation to be lined up with Hamas. I don't want my nation to be lined up with those that are hostile to the Jewish people. That puts our nation under judgment. Okay? And all of this is, is just plain language of the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter 12. So what it comes down to. And so the fact that Caesar's household has born-again believers with doctrinal teaching who want to extend greetings to the saints at Philippi, that's a marvelous thing. It, especially given the fact that the saints at Philippi would all be Roman citizens. They're all uh, residents of, of, uh, of a Roman colony. And so it's a very appropriate for the saints of Caesar's household to be greeting the Roman citizens of the colony of, uh, of Philippi. Okay? That's, uh, that's a blessing as well. We're clear on what a colony is? That a colony is um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a city, it's geographically located in Macedonia, but they're not Macedonians. They're not Macedonian citizens. It, it's, it's like, you know, if, if we took Lugerville away from Austin, <laughs> right? Or we just took, took a, a town and, and it becomes a colony belonging to a foreign land, belonging to a foreign people. And it's located there. So Philippi has a bunch of Macedonian neighbors, Thessalonica, Berea, all these Macedonian churches. And they're located in Macedonia, the geography, but the people themselves are Roman citizens. That's a huge difference, okay? All right. And so we have the issue there. All right, then we get to grace and peace, or grace to close the epistle. Point three in the outline. Grace and peace open all of Paul's epistles. Grace closes them all. Grace and peace open all of Paul's epistles, and grace closes them all. And uh, I put them on the screen, so if you want to write them down, you can write them down. If you want to take a snapshot, you can take a snapshot. Uh, go home and read them if you'd like. They're, they're more than just formulaic. They're more than just, I don't want to ignore them. I don't want to treat the grace and peace uh, greetings and, and, and the grace benedictions as if it's the, the begat section of the New Testament that you just your eyes glaze over and you skim through and you get to the next chapter. All right. I think far too many people get to the, the closing benedictions of the epistle and they're ready now to jump to, right to the next epistle because uh, you know Colossians is, is on the facing page and you're eager to get to that book. There is the, the reminder that apart from the grace of God, we're nothing in the church age. Apart from the grace of God, we wouldn't be saved. Apart from the grace of God, we can't be bearing fruit. Apart from the grace of God, we can't pursue ministry. Apart from the grace of God, we're nothing. By the grace of God, what does Paul say? I am what I am. 
So even being depends on God's grace. Doing depends on God's grace. By the grace of God, I do what I do, he says. He says, I worked harder than all of them. When he talks about the grace he received as an apostle, not worthy to be called an apostle because he, he persecuted the church of God. And uh, he said, uh, uh, you know, I worked harder than all of them. Those super apostles, the pillars of the church. And he said, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God in me. Because it's grace. It's always grace. So every epistle opens with grace and peace. Uh, every epistle closes with grace. And we see this here. The grace of God be with your spirit. Be with your spirit. When we come back on Wednesday is when we're going to tie this all together on how does a church have a collective spirit? That each individual has a spirit. Each one of us is body, soul, and living human spirit. But together a local church can have a corporate spirit, a collective unity. That's, that's referenced here, it's referenced in, in uh, an earlier chapter, back in chapter 1, it's referenced in Galatians, it's referenced in other uh, New Testament passages. The idea that there is a spirit within a local church, a reputation, as it were, in a, in a lampstand. And what is that lampstand known for? We want it to be known for something positive that the Thessalonican lampstand in particular had a reputation that had been communicated throughout the, the, the Roman world. That the Philippian church had a reputation that had been communicated throughout the Roman world. Sadly, the Corinthian church had another kind of reputation. Theirs was horrible. They had, because of the man of incest, they had a, 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 a tremendous, Paul said, I can't believe my ears. You're tolerating this thing that not even Gentiles would put up with. What are you doing? He said, this man has his father's wife. Even, even unbelievers know that's wrong. What are you guys doing? And when word of that had gotten around to different places, see. And so there's a spirit of a lampstand. The, uh, the believers in Jerusalem had a, had a spirit, had a collective spirit, a collective reputation that had been communicated, which is why, by the way, uh, there was such a, a desire to put a, a famine relief fund together and send some money to Jerusalem because every Gentile church knew they had a they had a they were indebted to the mother church in Jerusalem. They were indebted to the to the dispatching of the apostles and the dissemination of the gospel that had gone forth. And so that application was was conveyed. What I want you to chew on between now and Wednesday is uh, is Austin Bible Church and ask. What is our spirit? What is Austin Bible Church known for? What is it that that spirit communicates? Yes, Warren. Excellent. Okay, so the question, repeating question for MP3 listeners. Uh, what information do we have as it relates to the New Testament books being copied and spread about and disseminated, how quickly did that happen through the, through the Roman world? And it happened faster than we can imagine. It happened with a speed and a rapidity. And even within the New Testament itself, as these letters are coming, we're told, uh, the recipients were told, in some cases, to make copies and to spread them around. Uh, when the saints received the book of Ephesus, for example, they were told to send copies and so between Ephesus and Colossae and Laodicea, these different places, they were, they were copying them and sending them around, even, even within that first, the moment of reception, see. Uh, Peter had the full collection of Paul's writings, and he said, I don't understand a lot of it. <laughs> he, says, he says, there's a lot of it that's hard to understand, but he called it Scripture. And that's powerful, because that tells us that as these books were being written, they recognized this Greek correspondence needed to be added to the Hebrew canon. That God was doing something marvelous by adding the Greek canon to the Hebrew canon. And they knew that from, the, from day one. They knew that from day one. And the reason why we have the, the 5,000 plus manuscripts that we have today is because Christians got very busy on day one copying these scrolls over and over and over and over again. So yeah, they, the, the news spread very quickly in, uh, in that regard. Great question. Father, I do thank you for this morning and I thank you for the truth of your word and I pray that we would be more uh, sensitive to the blessings of greetings and extending greetings uh, that would be more friendly to our visitors, uh, Father, and, and beyond that, 
that we would truly identify the larger body of Christ beyond uh, the local lampstand here. I thank you for uh, the joy that I have once a month. I get uh, I have lunch with Pastor Cliff and we, we fellowship uh, between Lost Pines Bible Church and Austin Bible Church. And, and there are other occasions where we get together with other pastors in different venues in different ways. And Father, I pray that we can foster more of this. I pray too that we can invite uh, other churches to join us on special occasions and have joint church services that are happening. Uh, I pray right now because uh, uh, Pastor Mark Perkins is blending uh, two churches in, in Denver, Father. A couple of churches are combining and they're holding joint sessions together and, and uh, Pastor Perkins will be the, the, uh, the pastor for the larger combined assembly there. And that's, that's a joy to me, Father, to hear these things that are happening in, in different capacities. So, Father... Um, all of this is grounded in uh, the New Testament. It's grounded in the uh, blessings of understanding grace, understanding greetings, and the joy that we have in the body of Christ. So thank you for teaching us. Now, Father, lead us to the application. We thank you and praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.